The world has gone insane. Cosplayers rule the conventions. Gamers dominate the tabletop and the internet. Sci-fi subjugates the movies and fantasy rules the bookstore with an iron fist. Only one group can bring order to this unruly mob. A team of uber geeks, masters of the nerdly arts, trained for decades in the hobby shops and basements of the nation. Mobilized by the secret masters, they are the Department of Nerdly Affairs. Hello, operatives, and welcome to the Department of Nerdly Affairs. I'm your host, Rob Patterson, here with my co-host, Don Chisholm. Who has a new computer, and I'm not very good at this, so strap in, kids, we're going for a ride. Aren't we always, Don? Aren't we always? (laughs) And tonight, we're going to be going east, at least if you live in Europe. Simon Vale of Magic Dome Books has dropped by to talk to us about Russian science fiction. His company translates fine Russian science fiction for an English audience. Welcome to the show, Simon. Uh, Hi, thanks for having me, and I'm happy to be here. Not as happy as we are to have you, Simon. So, first, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Uh, Sure. Uh, First of all, I have to explain something. Simon Vale is not my real name. I am Russian-born. I grew in Russia and uh, never even have been in any English native-speaking country. Just when I started working at Magic Dome Books, very soon uh, I realized that I need to separate uh, the various information uh, incoming. uh, And I mean information in English and in Russian. And this is how Simon Vale was born. My real name is Valerian Simakov. Uh, Maybe you have seen a movie, Valerian and the City of Thousand Planets by Luc Besson. So the first part is my actual name. And all my friends made at least one joke about how this is about me. Uh, Actually, I haven't seen it. So I don't know. Uh, But maybe, maybe. That's pretty cool. Although I kind of heard the movie is not really that good. Uh, yeah, I had the same thing, and, well, I guess nothing can beat uh, The Fifth Element. It's a great movie by Luc Besson, I think, best best of the best. Definitely. Well, uh, I am 34 years old, uh, and I'm the head of communications in a small publisher and literary agency called Magic Dome Books. We are relatively young, only three years old, uh, but we are very enthusiastic and passionate publisher, we already have published almost uh, 50 books, mostly lit RPG. Uh, and I know that you guys uh, know what it, what this is, uh, because I listened to the episode of your podcast uh, with my friend and colleague Ramon Mejia. Uh, and he explained it much better than I ever could have, uh, even in Russian. Uh, so I won't bother you with it. Uh, still, I'm proud to say that our books were among the first ones in this genre on Amazon and uh, in the United States, in Canada, in Australia, in uh, England, of course, in New Zealand. Um, uh, before that, I worked as a brand manager for the biggest Russian publishing house, AST. Uh, and also there are uh, three annual book fairs in Russia. And for 10 years already, I'm working there as a host interviewing authors, presenting books, etc., etc., etc. So many of Russian science fiction and fantasy writers I'm lucky enough to know personally. Uh, 
I can't say I'm a traditional Russian geek because I don't think there is a very uh, distinctive social group that you can call that in Russia. Mm, but I'm a huge fan of science fiction and fantasy myself, uh, not just Russian, but world fantasy and science fiction. Hmm. Okay, then. So, Simon, why don't you tell us what's the difference between Russian fantasy and fantasy from other places, then? Hmm. Well, uh, speaking about fantasy, I think uh, that there is no big difference. Russian fantasy is having the same roots as every other fantasy in the world. Uh, books by John Tolkien and John Rowling, uh, Dungeon and Dragons tabletop games and old computer games like Baldur's Gate or uh, Eye of Beholder. Uh, there is also some national-based fantasy in Russia, and it is relatively popular, yes. Some authors do specialize on it. But it is much more complicated with uh, science fiction. Uh, the way I see it is um, uh, in the end of uh, 19th uh, century, world science fiction was mostly, uh, you know, positive. Um, well, you know, human progress, improving medicine, magic of electricity, all that stuff. Uh, and on that positive basis, uh, people once again tried to build the ideal modern society, but ended up building two horrible dictatorships, Nazi Germany and Soviet Union. Uh, and that's why world science fiction of the second half of the 20th century is all about disappointment. Disappointment in progress, which is not helping to solve uh, every problem as it seemed before. Uh, but since Russia was one of those ideal uh, societies, we couldn't afford such a view with censorship and all that. Uh, so when, I don't know, Polish author Stanislav Lem wrote about how we can't communicate with any other alien forms because we are all, uh, all we're looking in, uh, in space is a mirror. Or when Isaac uh, Asimov wrote about danger of artificial intelligence. Uh, or when uh, Robert Heinlein wrote about hunger uh, of the outgrown human population. All that time we kept writing about how, how great and kind people of the future will be. It was a little naive, but Soviet censorship just wouldn't allow anything else to be published. Uh, so when Soviet Union collapsed, that was all that we had uh, in that moment. Maybe this is why post-apocalypse and cyberpunk genres are um, very popular in Russia. Mm, dark science fiction, you know, to balance, to balance things up with uh, our inheritance. Maybe this or maybe um, else, maybe um, because many Russian science fiction writers are former military people. Uh, maybe this is this this is also a reason, also the reason. Uh, and today's readers prefer fantasy. Uh, for past several years, we saw many uh, young writers uh, and many young women writers uh, coming up to the stage, and they're writing uh, romantic fantasy and young adult fantasy, this kind of stuff. Um, so uh, I think that uh, Russian science fiction is dark. 
uh, as I said, uh, and um, much darker than uh, how well I, I don't know about that because uh, I read a lot, uh, no, not only Russian but also uh, American and uh, German and French and Chinese uh, literature, and sometimes I uh, come across. Mm, very dark things, very dark books uh, as well. Uh, but I think that uh, you can say this about Russian literature. It is dark when coming to science fiction. Yeah, I would agree. We we had a weird thing well, when you mentioned um, the second half of the 20th century. Uh, like here in North America, right after World War II, we had a period where all of our science fiction was upbeat and it was all like it's often referred to as the atomic age where atomic power will fix all of our problems and we'll wear silver jumpsuits in space and that didn't last too long of course of course i understand that's uh, that's the same thing i'm talking about uh, of course because uh, people's problems real problems inside problems you know uh, they are different they can be solved mm. with uh, progress with technologies uh, on the contrary uh, progress raising uh, much more new questions in addition uh, to mm -hmm. the old ones it actually yeah. sounds like science fiction and uh, even science fiction heroes are kind of universal or at least they were for a while Yes, it does. Yeah, you know, um, maybe because uh, this inheritance that I told you about, uh, it is uh, pretty strong even now uh, in Russian literature. And uh, the most famous uh, Russian science fiction authors, uh, they both dead by now. Uh, uh, they called Strugatsky brothers, uh, two, two brothers, Arkady and Boris Strugatsky, and they are uh, like wildly popular in Russia. Uh, every Russian science fiction writer uh, must learn them by heart, uh, and uh, when uh, someone wakes him at night, he uh, must uh, remember all the details from every book of those authors. And they're really great. Uh, I love I love those books. Uh, but they also mm, they also always describe uh, these uh, you know uh, people of the future, kind uh, and great, and um, showing sympathy to others, helping others, you know that kind of, that kind of things. So these heroes, they are sometimes they are. Uh, transferred from uh, from that time, they are transferred into modern Russian literature. Sometimes that happens. Yes. Hmm. I confess, I've actually never heard of the Strugatsky brothers. Um, do you think they were well known at one time in English? Uh, maybe not. I'm not sure. I think uh, they are translated. I'm sure they are translated. But uh, one of them was uh, translator himself. Uh, he was an interpreter into Japanese, uh, and I know they are translated into um, Japanese, um, and of course they are translated into English, but I'm not sure, uh, you know, uh, Russian literature is really um, self-centric sometimes. Uh, I mean, in 
in language yeah. sense, first of all. There are many language references inside it uh, and cultural and historical references that sometimes they, uh, readers uh, from United States or Canada or um, other countries, any other countries, in fact, uh, they can't understand them or uh, they need to uh, open a textbook, uh, history textbook, and to uh, search for answers. So I think uh, many, many senses are lost uh, when, you're, when you're reading uh, Russian classics such as Trugatsky uh, Brothers. But on the other hand, they are, there are, they are great book uh, in, uh, sense, uh, in the sense of action and, uh, you know, adventures, traveling, that kind of stuff. Um, uh, one of them, as I told you, uh, was a translator, and the other one was astronomer. Uh, so they really uh, knew their stuff. They really knew their what, what they were writing, and uh, this is pretty strong literature, without any doubts. Wow, I I'd love to read them. So, if someone was going to start out uh, reading the Strugatsky brothers' work, where would they start? Ooh. This is a very, very difficult question because there are like 30 books, uh, I think, um, <laughs> they wrote them for 30 years. Um, and, uh, hmm. <laughs> uh, you know, there are famous books and there are my favorite books and they are not mm. the same things. Well, why don't you just give us a few of the major titles in English? Well, uh, perhaps I can name the book, but I'm not sure how to translate the title uh, in Russian. Okay. The most famous book in Russian called Ulitka uh, Naskloni, and that means uh, snail at the, I don't know, slope, mountain slope. Uh, I'm, 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 I'm not sure this uh, translation is accurate at all. Uh, but um, there is uh, such a book, and um, this is a great book, uh, without any doubts. Um, but my favorite book, uh, I believe that will be uh, It's Hard to Be a God. There oh. is such a book, It's Hard to Be a God, and uh, it is uh, about uh, another planet, uh, and uh, people from Earth are coming to this planet to... Uh, help people uh, living on it uh, because uh, there are there are middle ages over there on that planet. A middle aged society, uh, and um, people from Earth are trying to help them, and uh, they face, uh, of course, they face not just many difficulties, but they uh, with time. Uh, they start uh, themselves looking like uh, people from that planet, you know. They get barbaric, they get cruel, uh, they get evil because uh, influence of this planet, of this place, uh, of these manners, uh, it, it all influences them very much. And this is a great novel. It raises many really big and difficult questions. And, of course, I can recommend it. That that was part of a there was a series, wasn't there? Uh, it's hard to be a god. Uh, I don't think so. Uh, there was a series. It was a single book by those authors. Uh, uh, they, it was uh, theirs theme. 
as you can mm. see, because oh, okay. maybe we can find a part of this plot of, of this problematic in uh, their other books. Uh, but th there were no series. Um, but I can say you that uh, Portal science fiction and fantasy, uh, when someone uh, is transferred to other planet or to other dimension uh, and tries to survive there. Uh, this is a very popular plot in uh, modern science fiction Russian uh, and classic Russian science fiction. It is very popular. Huh. Okay. Because I, I do remember um, Hard to Be a God is they did translate it in English. Because I remember, oh, this is going back. This would be back to the seventies. Oh, yes, yeah. It, it was one of those books here that if you were a serious sci-fi fan, you were familiar with. But if you were like a casual fan, you've probably never heard of it. Mm, I know what you're talking about. Uh, mm. For me, uh, from uh, your part of the world, uh, and uh, especially from Canada, uh, I read for about a year now, I guess, I read uh, Blind Sight by Peter Watts. I don't know if, 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 you, if you know this author. Uh, he's Canadian, and this is real, really hard science fiction uh, with uh, uh, big capital science in it uh, <laughs> and I enjoyed it very much. This is like I don't know, uh, the best science fiction novel I read in years. That's awesome. But I have a horrible feeling he's one of those Canadian writers that only people who are really into science fiction know. Well, anyway, uh, the only other Canadian author I know is uh, Douglas Copeland. He's not, well, I'm, I'm not sure this could be uh, described as science fiction, uh, but maybe, you know, Generation X, Generation X, uh, X his famous book. Um, uh, it, I oh, think really he'd yeah. be more like uh, social commentary. He was actually pretty big back in the 1990s, but I don't think he's done very much recently. Actually, one science fiction writer you should definitely check out is uh, Robert J. Sawyer who did a book called Flash Forward. It got turned into a TV series a few years ago. Uh, I didn't know he was Canadian. Yeah, him and uh, William Gibson would probably be two of our best, or at least best-known science fiction writers. And, of course, Margaret Atwood. Yep. I'm, I'm writing it down right now. And thank you very much, because uh, I always seek for recommendations uh, to read something new. And... Uh, I think I heard about the TV series. Yes, uh, you, you said the name, uh, the title. Flash Forward? Yes, yes. Ah, I've seen it. Uh, unfortunately, it wasn't, how do I say it, c continue, continued uh, after the first uh, or maybe after two seasons. Uh, it uh, had amazing, brilliant, uh, you know, premise. Uh, but... Um, when uh, the things start to, you know, unwrap, uh, may maybe maybe it wasn't uh, it wasn't as good as the start. This uh, first, you know, this first uh, idea, this first uh, of the flashback, mm -hmm. flash forward actually, and because they're looking forward in time. Uh, I think in the original novel, it's like twenty years or something like that. They look into the future, whereas in the TV show, it's just like six months or a year or something. And the original story takes place around CERN, mm. where in the TV show they take place, uh, I think it's about normal mm, people. I see. 
So it's it's quite different actually between the two. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think he, maybe he shouldn't uh, do uh, the whole the whole series. He should just maybe uh, have sold his idea to Black Mirror producers or creators mm. uh, to create one uh, but great episode. Uh, yeah. So that yeah. brings up an interesting question. Did you ever have a series like Star Trek in Russia? You know, an epic science fiction series that uh, caught people's imagination and attention? Uh, not a single one, I think. <laughs> uh, well, uh, maybe we have something fantasy-based, not uh, not even fantasy-based, but uh, a fairy tale, you know, Russian fairy tale-based, maybe. Uh, science fiction wasn't uh, the strongest part of uh, Russian television um, ever. Uh, and I know uh, amazing Canadian series, TV series like Babylon 5 or, uh, if I'm not mistaken, Lex, the Lex, uh, just no Lex about the... Uh, actually, Babylon 5 was American. Sorry. Yeah, really? Hmm. Ah, okay. So Lex. Okay. Uh, then just Lex. It was an amazing series and I love it very much uh, because, uh, you know... Uh, all the space space series and space books, uh, but uh, mostly space movies are horrors, mainly horrors. Uh, mm. But Lex wasn't a horror. Uh, it was, uh, you know, um, it was different with all the uh, biotechnology and sex. Uh, combined together in one wild um, beverage, it was great and i love mm. it but unfortunately there are no russian uh good series we are trying now to uh, shoot something like that uh in russia but uh, so far mm, i can't see any interesting uh things in there uh, maybe because we are trying to do it like uh, american guys do you know because when uh, soviet union ceased to exist uh, was no more. There have been, uh, you know, cultural uh, empty emptiness in Russia, uh, hmm. and this emptiness was uh, filled with Western culture. Uh, first of all, uh, all children uh, that were born after eighties um, or in eighties. Uh, they uh, were growing on Star Wars and Star Trek and uh, all that stuff, of course. Mm. Maybe that's also one of the reasons why there are no uh, good Russian series so far, but I hope maybe maybe some time will pass and uh, we'll see them. Yeah, because there's been... Um, from and, and I'm not sure if this is just because we're just starting to, to see more of it here... But it seems like in, in Russia and, and Eastern Europe in general, there's been just in the last few years, like um, a lot of companies that that are getting into science fiction and science fiction uh, productions. Is that is that something new or is that just something we're just becoming aware of here? Mm, uh, I'm not sure about science fiction in general, but for example, um, there is a great uh, Polish a fantasy series, and you probably know it. Uh, it is called The Witcher. Oh, and okay. even if you don't know uh, the books, 
uh, the book series, you might know the computer game, of mm -hmm. course, uh, The Witcher. And um, this is a series by uh, famous uh, Polish author Andrzej Sapkowski. Uh, and uh, uh, personally, I think that's like maybe the best fantasy uh, story uh, in the world. I I'm not oh. kidding. I'm not kidding. It's uh, even better than Game of Thrones. And Game of Thrones is very popular in Russia. Uh, and uh, any piece of uh, news about Game of Thrones uh, are always in all major uh, Russian mass media. Mm -hmm. uh, but uh, still, uh, this uh, novel, The Witcher, I don't know why, uh, but it's not very popular in uh, United States. I mean, books uh, mm -hmm. and in Britain and in Britain as well. And uh, I hope that uh, maybe changed because, uh, um, as you might know, Netflix announced uh, a series based uh, on these books. Uh, Banjay Sapkowski, The Witcher, uh, and I hope that this is going to be next Game of Thrones. Uh, that is going to be, uh, you know, a big uh, with big money, with uh, amazing special effects, uh, with uh, computer graphics, with all the, all that stuff, uh, and um, because the books are really really good. Uh, I'm not sure why uh, they aren't so popular. Maybe it's a language problem. I'm not sure, mm -hmm. uh, but maybe. And uh, it is easier to translate from Polish into Russian than into English. Uh, that's mm -hmm. for sure. I'm looking forward right. to it. So, Simon, what's the science fiction publishing market like in Russia? Uh, well, you see, I have to say that Russian publishing market had seen better days. In the 90s, average uh, number of copies for fantasy novel uh, easily could be 25, uh, 50 thousands of copies, even more. And hmm. today it's more like 5,000 of copies. Wow. Uh, I mean, paper editions. Uh, our big problem is the market itself. We have only one uh, big publisher, which is publishing like, I don't know, two-thirds of all books in Russia. Up until recently, we had two, but they merged together, and now we have one. Uh, it is hard to work on that market, uh, first of all, because Russia is very big. Most books are printed in western part of Russia, so when you need to deliver them to the east, it costs like a fortune. Uh, of course, people do read digital books, and but here we are coming across another big problem, piracy. Uh, piracy is very, very strong in Russia, and uh, people um, aren't aren't yet got used uh, to the fact they that they should pay money for books. <laughs> they just download them from the from uh, the internet and reading them just like that. Uh, and unfortunately, Amazon uh, Amazon uh, is not on Russian market. You can buy uh, books on Amazon, but they don't have, uh, you know, Russian uh, department. So it's hard for authors to work with Amazon. Uh, so uh, there are some uh, self-publishing companies in Russian. One of them, in fact, uh, is coming to U.S. Uh, soon, I think. It is called Litnet, litnet.com. Oh, okay. uh, and the idea of it is simple. Author uh, can gather money for the book 
while writing it. Uh, so he writes chapter, he uploads it uh, to this litnet.com, uh, and uh, the reader, reader uh, he uh, pays a small fee and uh, get uh, access uh, to the page with the book. Um, so it's a little like, I don't know, like blog maybe. Uh, but uh, this is uh, real books, and after they are done, uh, often they are published by this, uh, our big uh, and lonely publisher uh, in Russia. Uh, but um, you can't uh, make really decent money with that publisher, uh, Russian author of average uh, popularity uh, gets like a thousand or two thousand dollars for one book so it's it's very uh, and considering that you're you're writing this book for uh, i don't know five six months uh maybe maybe even a year uh if you get only uh like thousand or two dollars for, for for this kind of work uh who would want to become a writer so uh, people trying some different ways many Russian authors uh, are having their own stores bookstores they're making their own sites uh, and trying to sell books uh, through uh, these sites and also this litnet and a few other uh, services in the internet uh, allow to sell books in Russia, but in general, I would say, uh, as I begin, Russian book market had seen better days. That's for sure. Right. So, does this mean that Russian readers are generally not um, interested in books anymore? At least, not of the paper kind. Well, they do read books, uh, but uh, first uh, of all, they do read. Uh, you know, mostly uh, light science fiction and light fantasy. You know, like, uh, um, for example, uh, at uh, a book fair I was working a couple months ago and I was presenting a book series. It was a romantic fantasy about dragons in space. Can <laughs> you imagine it? Uh, it was about dragons. It was romantic. And all those dragons, they, I don't know, they uh, loved each other in space or what, I don't know. Uh, that sounds wow. really crazy. Uh, but for some reason, people do read it. Uh, I, I don't know the statistics. I don't know how many young people uh, are reading right now. Uh, in Soviet times, uh, there was uh, not a rumor, but um, I don't know. Not a rumor, but uh, an opinion, maybe, that Russia is the most reading country in the world. Mm. I don't think uh, it was true even then, though we had very, uh, very big uh, numbers of copies of every book that uh, w- was published, maybe even hundreds of thousands. Um, but um, that doesn't mean uh, people uh, really uh, re- uh, read all this or read all this. I'm not sure. Uh, but today, mm, I guess um, it's maybe just like in uh, any other country. Uh, maybe a little less. Maybe uh, a little more uh, than somewhere. I'm not sure. But I don't think there is big difference. 
Now, now the um, when when somebody does work for like the the big publisher, that how much of the rights to their material do they keep? Uh, well, usually uh, they keep uh, rights. Uh, at least nowadays, uh, they keep rights uh, for digital uh, sales uh, to them and. Uh, for movie production and computer games production, they also keep rights uh, to themselves. Nobody sells it to uh, big publishers uh, because, um, well, maybe I'm not sure, but I think uh, because uh, the big publisher uh, allows them to do that. They don't pay uh, writers very big money uh, as I told you, and uh, so there is no reason, you know, uh, mm-hmm. to give them all the rights, you know. Um, people prefer to get through this by themselves. And uh, to make a computer game, it's one of the ways to to the West, to the Western reader, uh, as uh, we already uh, talked about The Witcher, and there is another example is a very uh, famous series in Russia. It is called uh, Metro uh, 2033. Um, Okay. And there is a game, Metro. um, Maybe maybe you heard about it. Mm -hmm. Uh, And uh, the series is... uh, It's uh, not series by a single author. This series, uh, the first book of it was... Uh, written the first three three books of it was were written by Dmitry Glukhovsky, uh, but then uh, he made it like you know uh, multi multi author series. Uh, he okay. invited uh, many authors, and uh, there were many. I think about fifty sixty books, and there are two computer games. Uh, they both uh, made by. Uh, companies, uh, um, maybe even um, <laughs> in maybe in Czech, in Czech Republic and Czech Republic, or maybe in Poland. I'm not sure, uh, but I think it was Czech Republic. Yes, uh, because uh, there there is a big and a very good uh, computer games making company in there. They are making really well. You also uh, you, you you've seen the the Witcher and mm-hmm. it's a very beautiful game uh, with amazing graphics with amazing effects uh, with amazing well everything uh, so they keep making those games and uh, this is the way for Russian author to become international. Okay, because that's we've we've noticed that with. Um with writers in similar positions in other countries like uh, Japan, a lot of them are starting to move into doing like the animated TV shows. And China is another place where it looks like they're starting to work the novels into video games more than anything else. Video games, television, you name it. The Chinese are trying to turn it into a media property because it makes money. Yeah, well, well, uh, you know, maybe that's uh, because I heard that in China... Uh, they are, their TV and their uh, is uh, very local, very very Chinese. Uh, they have very little Western Western movies, Western West, Western culture on their TV. Uh, mm-hmm. Despite the fact that, uh, for example, 
I don't know, uh, Pekin uh, is an international megapolis uh, with with um, tons of uh, tourists and uh, uh, foreign companies and people. Uh, their TV is still very, you know, old-fashioned, local, uh, Chinese-oriented. Well, maybe Russia should try doing the same thing. Yeah. Well, Russian government is dreaming of making something of the sort in Russia, but so far it's very hard because for uh, 30 years, uh, I think, yes, for 30 years, uh, there are tons of uh, Western Western product in Russia. I mean, digital product like movies and series mm -hmm. uh, and computer games and all that stuff. And you can't just, you know, ban it. Uh, today uh, without, I don't know, uh, without uh, serious uh, consequence. Well, mm. maybe we need a big push yeah. the other way. Maybe we need more Russian stuff being translated into English, you know, like your company is doing. Uh, well, um, first of all, uh, Russian fantasy and science fiction authors, uh, they have a community of the, of, 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 for, for, uh, for themselves. Yes, uh, for Russian science fiction and fantasy authors. And, uh, there, there are, uh, you know, like, not like comic cons, but like, well, fantasy cons. Uh, conventions, yes, uh, something like that, and uh, uh, all those authors, they are meeting there, they all know each other, they of course hate each other, uh, <laughs> uh, just as I think maybe uh, all around the globe, uh, but still they are drink together, they talk together, they, you know, stealing ideas from one another, uh, so... Uh, of course, uh, and I know, I think, well, I, I know many of them. I know many of them personally, and uh, my colleague and founder of Magic Gnome Books, uh, Alex Bobel, uh, he is uh, an author himself. Uh, he's an author of uh, some very popular um, uh, series in Russia, uh, post-apocalypse uh, genre and mm -hmm. post-apocalypse genre. Uh, so when he started uh, Magic Dome Books, he was just, uh, you know, trying to uh, do something new uh, with this uh, horrible situation on the Russian book market. So he translated one of his books into English and tried to post it on Amazon and to uh, well, uh, you know, uh, post some uh, some some uh, announcements on the net, on Goodreads, uh, on forums, etc., uh, etc., et uh, and suddenly uh, it was a success. Uh, and uh, then we translated some lit RPG uh, in English, uh, and it was a major success because. Well, well, uh, the word itself, the word lit RPG is coming from uh, the title of Russian book series. Uh, and, uh, well, well, um, you have an episode dedicated to it. So I think, I think this is success. Yes, that was just yeah. incredible timing. I mean, the very first lit RPG novels that I read were actually Russian lit RPG novels. And um, I think it's already known kind of as a Russian genre in some ways. So 
you really came along with the right product at the right time to actually tap into a great market. Well, I think we got lucky, uh, without a doubt. Uh, and uh, the idea of, uh, of the genre itself, it wasn't ours. Uh, the idea belongs to uh, South Korea, uh, mm-hmm. and it came in Russia from there. Uh, but we, uh, what, what we made, we uh, merged uh, traditional, uh, traditional book narration uh, with um, uh, this, um, with gaming elements uh, in a form of a big European novel. novel. Uh, because uh, in South Korea, in Japan, in China, uh, there are mostly manga or short novels, and uh, lit RPG there also are mostly short novels, uh, like Moonlight Sculptor sculpture. Uh, and uh, so this this uh, was our only uh, advantage. We put it into big novels, like like we used to. Uh, Yes, and we got lucky. It became popular, and uh, it becomes popular, more, more popular, and more every day now. Um, and uh, there is uh, a movie coming up, you know, by Steven Spielberg, uh, Ready Player One. Uh, it's a uh, little RPG, maybe not little RPG technically, uh, because in little RPG you always uh, have uh, these, you know, stats and uh, I don't know, um, experience points, uh, level yeah. ups, all that stuff right inside the text. Uh, uh, so maybe not a traditional lit RPG, but basically, of course, this is lit RPG. So it wasn't our idea. It just um, happened to, to uh, make it in a new shape, maybe. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Well, I know that while the market is changing for at least a little while there, when people thought about lit RPGs, they definitely thought about uh, Russian yeah. works. I think the Russians were at the forefront of a lot of the development of the whole lit RPG genre. Mm-hmm. Oh, glad to hear that. Well, today the situation is different because uh, American readers and writers are uh, amazingly enthusiastic and passionate uh, about their work. And uh, today we're having like, I don't know, maybe 500 titles of lit RPG uh, by, uh, I know, mo- mostly uh, U.S. and uh, Canadian and uh, English uh, writers. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we are uh, taking uh, a small and modest, uh, but, uh, you know, a proud uh, place in that uh, in that um, in that not sure in that pyramid, in that uh, ladder, in that building of later RPG. Yeah. But but we hope to keep it. So <laughs> is your company also translating English books to Russian? I mean, there must be a lot of good ebooks being produced in English that would also be popular with a Russian audience if they could just be translated and reach it. Uh, I often uh, am asked this question, uh, and uh, no, uh, we are not translating anything uh, right now into Russian. Well, first of all, because, uh, as I told you, uh, there are great 
problems on Russian book markets. So uh, it is very hard to sell uh, more than, I don't know, three, four thousand of copies uh, of the book and uh, the and, uh, translation uh, costs uh, enough uh, to, you know, over, over, overcome the, the money you're, you're getting of it. Mm-hmm. So uh, it doesn't uh, really make sense. Uh, we, of course, in Russia, there are many translated books, uh, and some of them are uh, translated very good. Uh, I'm not sure why, but somehow uh, Russian and even uh, Soviet Union translation school was very, very strong. Uh, we've got uh, very much um, authors from all over the world, and in Russia... Uh, many of them are very popular. People do read uh, foreign literature, and um, I think that, uh, it, it's very good. Uh, Russian readers uh, and Russian writers are very receptive mm. to um, international ideas, themes. They combine, uh, they read, they mix it up, um, and I think... This is very good. But no, for now, we're not translating because uh, we're not big. We are only four people for now. Uh, so, uh, you know, it's hard to get uh, our hands everywhere we want to. But maybe a little later we'll do that. Well, I hope you do mm. because I think there's a real opportunity mm. there for anyone who wants to yeah. take ebooks that are popular and then translate them. Uh, legitimately, like you guys are doing, of course. course. And um, it lets better and better (laughs) translations pop up all around the world of books that might not reach different audiences. Well, I hope so too. I I hope so very much because this is a very, uh, really amazing uh, instrument for every author and Amazon should be everywhere. Uh, that's for sure. Uh, and, uh, well, you know, maybe maybe in addition, I can say that, for example, Peter Watts uh, and his blind sight, it is really difficult book to translate. Uh, and the second part of it, uh, the ekapraxia, yes, ekapraxia, ekapraxia, it is not as good uh, in Russian translation as the first book. Uh, And I know why, because it is really hard to translate and it takes uh, at least, I don't know, several editors with uh, special education uh, in biology uh, to, you know, just get through the stuff uh, so it makes sense in Russian uh, at all. Uh, not yeah. just translator. And when we are translating LitRPG, it's much more easier because uh, people all over the world are playing uh, MMORPG oh. and they are all the same in all countries. Uh, there are no problems to uh, get terms uh, from from the game uh, and uh, to translate them uh, to other language. No problem at all. Um, But with hard science fiction, it's much more complicated. Yeah. Oh, I was going to say, too, one of the things that I've noticed with, uh, like, I don't have a huge amount of experience with, like, uh, Russian sci-fi. But what I've seen that kind of makes it different from a lot of the rest of the world is that a lot of stuff, like, we grew up here in Canada with a lot of American stuff, and it tends to be very flashy, and you've got, like, the superheroic hero, whereas a lot of the Russian stuff seems to be, I'd have to say it's, it's much more grounded that yeah. there's 
there seems to be less of an interest of portraying heroes as somehow like super people that are better than everyone else as they tend more often to be average people who kind of through a mix of like wits and luck manage to do okay where they're at. Yes, yes, I think you're right. Well, you know, the traditional, typical Russian hero uh, is, uh, in Russian, it is called Durak. Uh, uh, in English, it is, I don't know, idiot. Uh, idiot who, <laughs> uh, who got lucky, who gets lucky all the time. A fool. Uh-huh. A, brilli- br- br- a brilliant fool. Uh, and uh, this is typical, typical Russian hero. And we are, we we haven't traditional uh, U.S. heroic uh, literature. We uh, we haven't uh, comic books at all, like at all. Uh, and of course, we know all the heroic uh, theme by movies, and we watch all these movies. Uh, but movies is that, that, that's it. Uh, it's just movies, no, no books, uh, no heroic books, no comic books, um, just movies. So hmm. do you mean that there's no Russian comic book market, like, at all? Uh, uh, there is, but it is very, 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 very small. There are some Russian comics. Uh, sometimes they are based on Russian classics like uh, Dostoevsky, Chekhov, Tolstoy. Uh, these are not even comic books, but some weird product. I'm not sure even how to describe it. Um, but uh, there is no uh, science fiction or fantasy comic books in Russia at all. Ouch. Ouch. Well, <laughs> so is there a reason why there is no popular Russian comic book market? Mm, I'm not sure. Well, mm-hmm. how how this happened? Because you know, in Japan they have manga, in America uh, they have uh, comic books, but uh, in between them, in Russia, we have none of it. Wow, um, I'm not sure how this happened. Yeah, kind kind of what's been happening uh, here in North America with our comic books for the last decade. Uh, the big companies like Marvel, DC, they're kind of ignoring the comic book because the audience has been diminishing. But thanks to online, you're seeing we've had this big boom in web comics that, mm-hmm. in some ways, it's closer to um, the comic strips how they used to be in our newspapers. Mm-hmm. That a lot of the guys will publish. It'll be like a three or four panel strip. And sometimes they'll continue, you'll get one every day or every couple days. But the online thing is doing good. But because it's so spread out, so diversified, there are no real, well, there's a couple, but there aren't very many big hits. So you get, mm-hmm. you, you've got, yeah, it, it's everybody reads it, but nobody's reading all the same stuff. So every comic has its own little fan base. Mm. Yeah. In general, I'm afraid American comics are pretty much dying, unfortunately. Mm, I see. Well, there, there's one American exception, and that's Archie. 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 Yeah. Uh, I know. <laughs> I know this one. Uh, you know, when when I'm watching, uh, like, I don't know, Big Bang Theory... Mm-hmm. And they are all going to the comic book store, and they are all grown ups. Uh, and I understand uh, these uh, these geeks are uh, a little bit uh, cliche, like kind of a cliche, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. of course. Uh, but still, I thought that movies uh, m- m- must help a great deal 
to you know to um, uh, spread spread the word about comic books uh, because uh, these movies I don't know Iron Man and Batman and Superman uh, they are not just for children yes mm-hmm. they are for uh, family viewers you know family mm-hmm. fa- family views and uh, isn't isn't it working like you know someone uh, comes to the movies with his son or daughter uh, and watching Iron Man and then uh, they want to read comic book no it's not working nope. this way yeah uh, what ended up it doesn't work like that here because um, what ended up happening in the 80s and the 90s was uh, the big companies like Marvel and DC moved specifically to specialty stores that sold nothing but comic books. Mm-hmm. And that meant the average person never really encountered them. Like when I was a kid, you'd buy them everywhere. You'd get them on at stores. You'd get them at like magazine shops. Mm-hmm. Supermarket. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like and when they moved to the comic shop, uh, more and more, it became just very specific fans of comic books that would go there. So the average person had nothing to do with it. And then they ended up back in the uh, by the end of the 90s, they didn't attract a new generation of readers. The uh, Japanese stuff did. So that's when they kind of started dying off. Mm, mm, and, I see. And people still think of that. They think of when they think of comic books. Iron Man is a movie. If there's a comic book, they think the Big Bang Theory. It's in that weird store where only these like weird old guys go. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I see. Well, good to know. Yeah. <laughs> uh, unfortunately, uh, what happened is is that Marvel, in order to try to chase a newer, younger audience at the expense of an old one, decided to swap out all mm-hmm. of their major characters for newer, younger, more diverse versions of them. And for various reasons, um, this hasn't worked. Part of it is that if you're a parent and you take your kid to a comic shop right now, you will find a character, a Captain America or an Iron Man or a Thor that looks nothing like the character in the movies or the one you grew up with. And so as an end result, the parents are just turning around and walking right back out of the store without buying anything or at best maybe buying some classic graphic novels, but not new Mm. stuff at all. And you can't really blame them because that's not what the audience wants, Mm. at least that audience. Mm-hmm. Okay, I understand. And what about um, 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 model train stores? Uh, Are there any in US and Canada so for, <laughs> for now? Well, there are model train stores. Mm-hmm. Uh, the modeling hobby does still exist, but it's a pale figment of what it once was. It's no longer a major hobby of any kind. It's really just a minor hobby that mostly my parents' generation and old guys are into. I don't see it attracting much blood. We have them, but just not many. Yeah. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's it's kind of sad, but that's that's the way it is, unfortunately. Wow. Yeah. I had no idea. Hmm. So, yeah. do you have like model train stores there in Russia? Is like modeling uh, a hobby that Russians are interested in at all? Well, I never been in Russian model train store. I maybe they do exist. I'm not sure, um, but I don't think so. Uh, so uh, anyone who is enjoying this this kind of activity, they should go to Germany or uh, I don't know France or U.S. and go to the store there. Right. Well, or they yeah. could go to Japan. I mean, Japan is on. <laughs> they love model trains. Or Japan. Sure. Yeah. Sure. 
well, Germany is much closer than Japan or U.S. <laughs> so, so what do Russians do yeah. then? Like, what kind of uh, nerd hobbies do you guys have, or are there any? Uh, nerdy hobbies. Uh, well, uh, the most um, popular is, of course, computer games. Uh, without any doubts, and uh, Russian computer game players, I mean professional players who uh, participate uh, in championships uh, and uh, win uh, big games, uh, they are, well, relatively high in ratings uh, all over the world. Of course, they can't beat um, uh, gamers from uh, Korea or China because the, those guys are just like robots. They play like robots <laughs> uh, and you can beat them. Uh, but uh, still, Russian players are good, I think. Mm -hmm. uh, and computer games are, of course, one of the most popular hobbies for Russian geeks. Uh, and books. Uh, without comic books, we are having uh, just simple books, uh, like traditional traditional novels. Uh, not well, science fiction and fantasy, and you know, speculative fiction and uh, steampunk, and uh, uh, there are much, mm, you know, uh, irony, irony, fantasy. Not sure what the word is. Sar sarcastic, sarcastic fantasy, uh, sarcastic science fiction. Uh, it is also uh, popular in Russia. Uh, and um, well, when I was young and uh, in uh, 90s, um, when um, Lord of the Rings books were uh, like wildfire, they were amazingly popular in Russia. And uh, even in Moscow, we have uh, in the center of Moscow, we have uh, this big park and Every Thursday, uh, many, many uh, hundreds of people gathered there. Uh, they uh, put on their customs uh, of uh, fantasy characters and, you know, they uh, played uh, these games uh, when they recreate uh, situations from the books. Uh, <laughs> they made weapons, they fight these weapons, uh, and uh, this is a popular sport even today. Uh, the middle age uh, swordsmanship. I don't know how to oh, call okay. it. Uh, it is um, popular, yes, in Russia. Uh, and, uh, well, I think that's it. Mainly, well, about hobbies. Uh, at least about, uh, you know, uh, these specific geek hobbies. I was I was wondering too. Um, in Russia, what about the uh, like the tabletop role playing games and war games? Is that like a big thing or? It was a big thing. We uh, have never had, uh, you know, the stuff for it. You know, okay. like action figures and, you know, little monsters uh, made of plastic and uh, maps and uh, special dices. All those things uh, came in only recently. Well, maybe, I don't know, 10 years but uh, yes, of course, in 90s, uh, uh, they were very popular, uh, but players just gathered together. Uh, they took each took uh, a sheet of paper uh, and a pencil, uh, and uh, they took uh, simple dices, you know, with just eight, eight sides of them. And uh, they played uh, classic uh, Dungeons and Dragons. 
Uh, and there are some tabletop games, not Dungeon and Dragons, like uh, you know, like uh, Warcraft uh, on uh, popular franchises. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are such games. Uh, they are not extremely extremely popular, but people do play them uh, still and buy them. And there are stores where you can buy them. Uh, and today you can buy them with all uh, the necessary stuff uh, like these uh, figures, etc., etc. Uh, and yes, people do like them. Hmm. Yeah, because that was uh, I, I have kind of a a problem with the the tabletop gaming miniatures. I'm a huge fan. And I've noticed just the last like four or five years, there's been a bunch of different companies that seem to have just started up like in Russia and, and Eastern Europe. And they they do fantastic stuff. I order all the time. <laughs> uh, I've seen uh, some uh, TV uh, report maybe just yesterday about a guy uh, in uh, Britain uh, who collected uh, like... Uh, thousands of these uh, miniatures and maps and all that stuff. He gathered Mm -hmm. them uh, for over 30 years uh, and he's playing uh, the same uh, big, amazingly big scenario. He's trying Uh to make it uh, really, really perfect. So he uh, gathered like everything uh, on the matter he could uh, lay his hands on uh, and now he's just uh, you know uh, spreading it wider and wider uh, he's making it bigger and bigger uh, like this big uh, very long very difficult story and he invites his friends from all over the world to play with him uh, <laughs> through Skype uh, and or they are just visiting him so they're going down to the basement and there is like this very big table, and on this table there are mountains, rivers, uh, woods, any kind of monsters, and this big story. And it looks, well, it looks really fun. I'm not really into this stuff uh, now. I was uh, back in 90s, uh, but now uh, I'm not playing uh, that much into in Dungeons & Dragons, but this uh, seemed like a very fun uh, thing to do. Uh, well, at least I don't know for 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 a couple of evenings. Uh, well, and I wish he invited me. Maybe I should write it. Yeah, why not? Why not join? Actually, you know that sounds a lot like Don's house. Yeah, that kind of does. I gotta say, <laughs> Don has a huge model kit and figure collection. In fact, he bought a house just to mm. hold all of his collection. Mm. Well. That is interesting. And he plays games with them too. Especially if you if you do if you uh, really have all 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 the necessary things, you know, uh, mm-hmm. uh, the surface woods and mountains and dragons and you know and cards and I don't know wands, what else? <laughs> uh, all, all those all those things. If you put them yeah. together, this should be really fun. Yeah, Don's house mm. looks more like a museum than it does actually a house. He has pretty much everything you could possibly imagine, <laughs> and dolls and toys and model kits, and it's a little bit of a kid's wonderland in there. Oh, uh, maybe I come visiting someday <laughs> into Canada because I love to see that. <laughs> yeah, people. 
people are usually entertained and or horrified by uh, the things in my house. <laughs> <laughs> I think you don't have dogs like Rob because they could, oh. I don't know, chew all the miniatures, you know, bite off heads from dragons. And the uh, tails. Dogs' dogs' tails are the most dangerous things of all for any kind of hobby. And they don't do it on purpose, so you can't really blame them. But, yeah, dogs' tails are really, really annoying. Yep. I've lost more than yep. a few toys yep. and things to dogs' tails over the years. Anyway, so let's get back on track. So listeners want to start reading Russian science fiction. Where's the best place uh, to start? Well, uh, the best way to start would be, I believe to maybe learn Russian because uh, it is very hard to find uh, good translation and uh, books uh, on Amazon uh, from Russian companies, from uh, Russian writers, uh, first of all. Uh, but I think uh, that, uh, of course, and you should, and you, uh, you should definitely, you should uh, start with uh, books by Magic Dome Books. Of course, uh, you can start with uh, the Way of the Shaman series or uh, the Dark Herbalist series or Mirror World. Uh, these are our uh, big three uh, series and they are best-selling series. Uh, they're really interesting. They are really, uh, you know, uh, full of adventures and action and everything uh, that should be in a good book. And uh, if uh, not to take our books, uh, well, uh, perhaps... Second. Simon, could you take a moment and tell us about some of your company's big titles? Uh, tell us more about them, I mean, so our readers know what to expect. Uh, well, uh, well, the way of the Shaman series, you read it, you know. Uh, it's about a man uh, who is uh, sentenced to... Uh, spend uh, several years inside a computer game uh, and uh, he is uh, trying uh, to uh, make a living there uh, working as a jewel maker. This book is really full of twists uh, and um, it was really I don't know, it was really inspired. Vasily Mahanenko is one of the pioneers uh, of Lit RPG in Russia uh, and he is uh, famous, uh, famous uh, mainly uh, because he works uh, with the gaming system inside uh, his books. Very, very accurate. And uh, for a lit RPG author, it is very important, uh, you know. So uh, the statistics, uh, the gaming points or experience or all that stuff, uh, it shouldn't be just, you know, put uh, here and there. Uh, here's level, there's some points, and uh, none of it makes sense. It should be uh, a very, uh, you know, distinctive and accurate system, and a uh, reader must understand uh, why this is happening and uh, what are the consequence, yeah, consequences uh, for uh, all these numbers you see and all these tables. And Vasily Mahanenko, uh, without a doubt, is the master of this uh, system cre cre creating. Uh, the other series, uh, The Dark Herbalist, uh, it is uh, an attempt uh, to write a book about non-human, uh, non-human, uh, with non-human lead. Inside uh, the game, the main hero uh, is 
a goblin is he's a goblin and he's also a vampire uh so he can't uh he can't lift lift uh, big and heavy swords or uh, axes uh he can't crush his enemies with his fists he's small he's weak uh but uh he's smart uh and he he has a lot of uh, dexterity uh so uh he he's good with that kind of stuff uh and uh that is uh, very good because uh there are many lit rpg now on the market and mainly they're picking simple and uh ordinary no classes uh of characters like i don't know humans elves uh etc uh and um not many books today are showing uh different races tricky races uh, and different uh, tricky classes as well and uh, dark herbalist is all about that uh and uh, of course uh, lit rpg books are uh they always have like two worlds like real world and gaming world and uh, uh the tricky part is uh, to uh you know keep both worlds uh on the surface you know uh not just to uh, concentrate on one world on gaming world or on real world they should be worked through both and the plot must merge them together in some way uh and the dark herbalist is doing it uh, very very good uh and uh what are this and uh, maybe the third series i'm going to tell you about is mirror world mirror world by alexia satchuk uh one more author under the magic dome uh and he's living not in russia he's living in spain though he's a russian author uh but he's living in spain uh and write uh his books over there uh and uh, this series uh, it's also an amazing series but it uh, have uh, another advantage uh because uh there is a very good developed human interest in the series because the main hero he's working uh inside uh the game trying to collect money for heart transplantation for his daughter where he has a little daughter and she um has problem with her heart and he's trying to collect money uh working as a miner inside a uh, gaming world uh he's uh, Mr Family Man he is not uh, you know ordinary player of computer games he's not uh, like geek or uh, someone who tries to conquer uh, the world uh, inside the game uh, or to lead armies he's just trying to solve his real life problem uh, inside this world uh, and it is also very very good and uh, personally i think that uh, every book must have this uh, human interest you know uh inside it uh, absolutely that's one of the key uh, aspects of a good book and uh, mirror world by alexia satchuk it has it all interesting hmm. well 
uh, that's it. We have uh, one more, uh, maybe I'll tell you short, uh, one more series. It is called Phantom Server. Uh, there are three books. It is completed. And uh, tomorrow we are releasing uh, the third book of the Nero, Neuro series by the same author, uh, Andrei Livadny, he's called. And uh, this series... Uh, is a prequel to this Phantom Service series. Uh, so uh, it was at first three books of Phantom Service series, and then, uh, like Star Wars, uh, three books of prequel to that series. Uh, and uh, it is a little different because it is sci-fi uh, lit RPG, not fantasy like previous books I told you about. They're all uh, fantasy lit RPG uh, with fantasy gaming worlds inside them. And uh, books by Andrei Livadny, they are uh, science fiction lit RPG. There are space, hmm. there are uh, uh, aliens, uh, there are... Um, uh, it, it, it is like dark, dark and hard uh, science fiction uh, with uh, all when uh, people facing con- consequences, oh, this is the hard word, consequences uh, of uh, human progress, of uh, virtual reality, of uh, gaming, of, uh, you know, addiction to computer gaming, all that stuff. Huh. Sounds a little different because that sounds more like the... Uh... The, the cyberpunk style stories from like the 80s it is it is cyberpunk without a doubt uh it is lit rpg because all the stats and tables are in there as well uh, mm-hmm. but of course this is cyberpunk because andrei Livadny he's a very uh dedicated to cyberpunk genre uh mm. author and he wrote almost a hundred books he's huh. uh 50-something years old, uh, and he wrote, like, almost uh, 100 books, and they are all cyberpunk. Oh, wow. He's very dedicated to the genre. (laughs) Yeah, and that's interesting, too, because you don't... With the lit RPG, yeah, now that you mention it, I don't know if I've ever seen a science fiction one before. Well, we have two series of uh, science fiction lit RPG, one of them Perimeter Defense by Mikhail Atamanov, the same person who wrote the Dark Herbalist series, and uh, it is also science fiction. It is based on uh, the famous MMORPG EVE Online. Well, a a, a little bit based on it, uh, because uh, it is a very popular game in Russia, and uh, I'm playing it too, as well. Uh, I love it. It is uh, you know, it is very um, uh, complicated and there are many tables and items and uh, mainly you just sitting inside uh, the space station and, you know, browse through all the tables and then maybe you're flying uh, like maybe five minutes and then you <laughs> come, come back and start reading and counting and selling and producing uh, and all that stuff. But the game is, well, it's really great. Uh, so we have this series, and this is sci-fi lit RPG, and this second series of sci-fi lit RPG. But uh, I have to say that, of course, science fiction lit RPG is uh, less popular than fantasy. 
Uh, and I'm not sure why this is so, but uh, in Russia, for example, uh, we are having two, uh, you know, this big fantasy boom. Uh, it's mainly young adult fantasy, but still it's fantasy. Uh, ten years ago, uh, it seemed like, um, well, all the fantasy is written, you know, right. uh, and... Uh, what 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 more uh, could you write about dragons and elves and all that stuff? Uh, but uh, you know it it comes back uh, today and uh, today in Russia and uh, I suppose uh, in United States too, uh, people do prefer fantasy books somehow. Right. Wow. Yeah, I got a funny feeling that once the uh, Ready Player One movie comes out, we may see that shift to the more science fiction oriented stuff. I think so. Well, so you, you technically uh, all lit RPG is science fiction because mm. there there there, uh, there is game uh, computer games and virtual capsules, all that stuff, and uh, maybe even all lit RPG is cyberpunk. Okay. Uh, I, I, I dare to say. I'm not sure, but maybe I think maybe maybe it is so in some in some you know. Well, if you go on Amazon, you'll yes. find most lit RPGs, at least originally, were all classified under cyberpunk. Uh, they at first didn't know where to put them, and so that's where they put them. Now I believe they have their own category, though. Mm. Mm-hmm. Actually, what I find interesting is that it seems like uh, lit RPGs are really just a variation of portal fantasy, which is something that seems to come and go every couple of years, at least in uh, Western culture anyway. And of course, it's very popular in Japan right now yes. and uh, China. I agree. I agree mm-hmm. totally, totally. And well... Portal Portal Fantasy is also very uh, popular in Russia. Uh, not lit RPG, but uh, you know, portal uh, travel traveling books uh, like uh, maybe uh, you know, uh, a Connecticut Yankee in King Arthur's Court by Mark Twain, uh, the famous book. Uh, it's also a portal uh, fantasy of of a kind. Huh. Well, and. In Russia, there are very, very many books uh, of that sort. Not lit RPGs, but other books. Uh, but they are portal fantasy, yes. So hmm. these portal fantasy books that Russian authors are writing, are they set in Western, you know, like uh, D&D World of Warcraft type settings? Or are they actually set in traditional Russian settings? I mean, I know that the Chinese like to set things in Chinese-based fantasy settings and... The Japanese, not so much. But anyway, so what do the uh, Russian authors like to do? Uh, well, first of all, uh, you have all different kind of monsters inside of that fantasy. Uh, there are no uh, dragons uh, or elves uh, in Russian uh, mythological uh, material. Uh, so uh, there, there are different uh, different monsters. There are uh, different plots, of course, and uh, it is based on uh, Slavic uh, Slavic uh, uh, mythological uh, material. So there are uh, they have Slavonic gods or uh, something that reminds of those gods. Uh, and uh, uh, traditional Russian heroes, uh, as I told you, the um, Russian fool uh, who gets lucky all the time, uh, something like that. And, um, of course, uh, 
uh, it uh, will remind you of a classic fantasy, uh, classic British fantasy and English fantasy as well, because uh, it's still it is still fantasy, it's still a fantasy. You can't, uh, you know, uh, cut uh, Tolkien's or George R.R. Uh, R. Martin's book books out of your head. Uh, you always remember about them. You always, uh, I don't know, uh, pointing at them mentally when you're writing a book. Uh, but still, uh, well, it feels like um, maybe something something different uh, still. And of course, uh, inside these books, uh, you can find more, uh, you know, national uh, behavior and national, mm. uh, you know, a view 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 of of the world, uh, and um, it is different, uh, you know, because um, sometimes Russian sci uh, sci-fi and fantasy can be a little rough for mm. English reader. Uh, I am talking about you know uh, political correctness and all that stuff. Uh, sometimes it can be politically incorrect with uh, women rights or uh, LGBT rights. Uh, there are plenty of things in Russia uh, which are very old-fashioned. And inside these kind of books uh, on national material, you can find them of all those things, uh, of course, uh, which are a little different uh, than yes. in uh, English novels. Yes, well, different cultures have different views, for better mm -hmm. or worse in some cases. Um, so does that mean Russian fantasy tends to be more on the dark side in terms of content and tone? Or is there more variety in the kinds of fantasy people read? Uh, well, it depends on the fantasy you pick. Uh, there is light fantasy, uh, as I told you, uh, written by young authors like a uh, young adult or romantic fantasy. Uh, and it is uh, it could be uh, family uh, based and uniting, you know, about friendship, about uh, good things, about uh, kindness, all that stuff. Uh, and there is hard science fiction, hard fantasy, and uh, it is dark and uh, it is about conquering. And, uh, you know, this is a very painful question uh, for uh, for me, at least, uh, because, uh, as you might know, in uh, 2014, uh, Russia uh, invaded in Crimea and took it over, uh, and uh, it was a big, uh, big uh, and um, very painful for some Russian people uh, like me uh, episode, but uh, there are not many people like me in Russia, uh, and mostly people in Russia uh, were very happy about uh, this fact, and uh, which is telling me at least that uh, Russian people are still uh, missing, you know, the empire, um, the former empire, uh, the greatness there, uh, you know, uh, when all other nations are afraid of you and they think they mixed it uh, uh, with uh, the respect. They think uh, if, uh, if, uh, if they fear you, uh, they respect you. That's not true. But they think that way. Uh, and I'm afraid this, is, uh, this happens in Russia uh, a little bit more often uh, than 
I, I could hope for. Mm. Yes, that's it. And of course, Russian science fiction and uh, Russian fantasy reflect uh, all these problems. Uh, first of all, because uh, very many Russian science fiction, uh, fiction authors are former military uh, and uh, they are patriotic uh, and, uh, you know, uh, people. Uh, they love their country and uh, they prove uh, what our government uh, is doing. Uh, and uh, this is very, very sad, but that's just the way it is. Uh, but not all, of course. We have uh, different authors and different people. Now, for example, author of uh, Metro uh, 2033, Dmitry Glukhovsky, uh, on which uh, there, were this, uh, there was this game, computer game uh, I told you about. Uh, he's, uh, he's a liberal, he is uh, multicultural, he knows, he speaks six or seven languages. Uh, he travels all over the world, uh, he meets people, uh, he speaks to them, and of course he's against these conquering actions that Russia uh, took uh, in recent past. Uh, so there are different people, and this is a very, very painful matter for any Russian to discuss and uh, to, 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 to get into, because sometimes, you know, uh, this... Uh, breaking families, you know, where uh, uh, parents could uh, support uh, those actions and children uh, growing up on uh, Western culture, on Western uh, traditions, on, um, you know, humanity traditions. Uh, they look at things different. And this is source of uh, very, very painful arguing and uh, fights. Yeah, yes. there are definitely different cultural perspectives about um, subjects like conquest. I've always found it fascinating how in America they have, uh, of course, Star Trek. Um, and that's all about going out and making friends and peacefully exploring for the most part. But uh, in Germany, there's Per Rodin, of course, who is a kind of German Captain Kirk type figure. But what's interesting about Per Rodin is this, that in his stories, they go out into the galaxy and they conquer it. They don't make friends with people. That's not the point. The point is about who, who is the strongest um, should rule and should be in control. Yes, I think uh, that you're right. Uh, because, you know, this is uh, kind of a thing that really separates uh, East from the West, I think. Yeah. Because, uh, for example, uh, I read recently uh, a Chinese novel uh, which was translated from English. Uh, some, somehow, I'm not sure why, but it was translated from English. Uh, let me just check how it was called the three-body problem maybe you know it oh yes 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 uh it just won a hugo award actually it's actually quite well known here 
Yes, yes, it's very popular. Uh, for my taste, it's maybe a little dry, uh, but still it's a very good uh, big book, uh, difficult and, uh, you know, complicated. Uh, and, uh, of course, it is also about conquering. Uh, there are uh, aliens uh, that are coming uh, to Earth uh, and uh, try uh, to, to conquer it, but they're uh, star starting con con conquering it. It, uh, uh, even before they actually uh, coming to Earth, uh, they are making their interest through uh, people uh, on Earth, uh, and this is, of course, this uh, book also describes this problem of conquering of uh, different uh, approach, you know, uh, to this problem, uh, and uh, on these uh, scales. I think uh, that Russia uh, is, well, at least I hope it is, are more uh, a Western country, of course, uh, because uh, our history from uh, like 15th century is mostly European uh, and not Chinese and Russian people. They, they uh, sometimes they do speak English, but they uh, don't speak Chinese. They don't uh, read Chinese books. They don't watch Chinese movies. They don't uh, go to, uh, I don't know, Chinese artists uh, very much, uh, at least. But of course, they do read uh, English and American fantasy and science fiction and other books. Uh, well, um, I hope, I hope that this bond is strong enough to, you know, uh, not to separate our countries uh, one from another uh, in the future. Uh, and I hope very much that Russia uh, will keep looking west uh, more than uh, east. Uh, I, and I don't want to say anything uh, you know, uh, about Chinese or uh, Japanese culture, they are great, uh, and I, I adore uh, Japanese and uh, Chinese culture very much. Uh, it's just that Russian people, uh, of course, they are uh, European by, you know, uh, genetically, by uh, the inner code. But isn't Russian culture a little bit of a mix of both sides? I mean, you're both an Eastern and Western yes. country, right? And so yes. there's got to be some connection to Asia there. We are torn apart, you know, uh, not like we are, we are pointing one direction and then we are pointing another direction. We are really torn apart. But isn't that also an advantage? Mm. I mean, you're in the middle between both sides. You can kind of act as a bridge or a broker between the two cultures. You've got elements of both. That's an opportunity. I hope. I hope uh, we will uh, pursue this opportunity uh, in the future. But for now, uh, we have to deal with our own problems, and then maybe we can uh, try to become a bridge or something like that between uh, Western and Eastern cultures. Well, I hope so. Uh, I really think that it would be a waste, and hopefully, things will continue to improve in the future. Anyway, so Simon. Why don't you tell us a bit about yourself and your own work? Are you also a writer? Have, do you have any projects ongoing right now? Uh, well, yes, of course. I even have in mind an idea for a uh, lit RPG novel. Uh, and 
uh, I'm not sure if I've uh, ever, if I ever uh, will have time to write it down because it takes really much time, and I got a lot of work uh, with Magic Down Books uh, and other projects uh, I've been running. Uh, but still, uh, I hope that maybe uh, someday I can publish my own uh, novel uh, on Amazon and get reviews and uh, you know uh, get money, of course. Uh, without it and I even uh, can give you uh, a little hint about uh, about my idea uh, because I came up uh, with a world uh, with a gaming world uh, where uh, there is uh, working uh, a reversed law of entropy but uh, there is reverse entropy in this world. So uh, if you have pieces of broken cup, uh, in time it comes back together in this world. Huh. Uh, yes, it comes back together. Uh, and uh, the world, this world, this gaming world uh, reflects uh, actions of uh, players inside uh, this world in uh, a very peculiar and, uh, you know, a weird way. Uh, so the world changes all the time uh, with this uh, reverse entropy uh, idea. And, well, I'm working on, on the plot uh, for that book. Uh, well, and I hope that maybe, um, maybe uh, by autumn or maybe by uh, winter, next winter, uh, I'll have a rough draft uh, of my novel. Mm. And... I will translate it. That is a fascinating and original idea. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Reverse huh. entropy. I would never have thought of that myself, actually. Mm -hmm. Yep. <laughs> oh, I think that is going to be uh, a major success. <laughs> I hope so. And I hope you publish it on Amazon, translated into English, so we can check it out. Yeah. Oh, of course, of course. Uh, that was uh, the original idea, of course, because in Russia, uh, I, if I if I uh, wrote something like that, I just you know uh, published it like three thousand copies, earned like a thousand bucks tops, and maybe even less because I'm not a well-known author in Russia, uh, so uh, that would be um, useless. Not useless at all, but it won't, you know, mm, pay for the efforts I made to create create such a book. Uh, but uh, in uh, on Amazon, uh, you know, with American readers uh, behind me, it's all uh, very different. And American readers, as I understand them, uh, they are very, really very passionate readers. Uh, they are writing uh, hundreds of letters, uh, how they were, uh, you know, mad uh, at some actions of the hero inside uh, our books on Chapter 7. He said this, <laughs> and I was raged, and I'm writing to you to say that I'm raged, and please do something, and... Uh, they are really very passionate uh, readers, and uh, I love that. Well, <laughs> some of them are passionate anyway. Um, <laughs> they definitely uh, get into it, and you may actually uh, regret what you wish for. But but anyway, so Simon, if it 
pays so little, how do Russian authors manage to feed themselves and survive? Well, uh, many of them are having other jobs, uh, simple as that. Uh, and uh, there are some authors uh, that are very, uh, very popular and they can make a living uh, writing and just writing. They have, uh, um, they are pu publishing many copies, like uh, 20,000. This is a very, very uh, big uh, number of copies in Russia today. Uh, and they can make some money, uh, and uh, of course, uh, there, there are such people. But you know, um, for Russia, it uh, was very hard to adapt to adapt adapt uh, to uh, the idea that modern author uh, is not just author, but he also must you know he must speak. Uh, he must speak publicly, uh, he must present his books, uh, he must write into social media, uh, he must communicate. Russian authors are introverts, they are looking inside, they are not very uh, communicative, yes, uh, that's the word, uh, people. Uh, so for many of them, it's very hard job. But some of them, like that Dmitry Glukhovsky I told you about, after author of Mitro, uh, they are uh, communicative and they speak many languages and they uh, do this amazing, you know, producer uh, work with their books, not just writing them, but also promoting them. And that is just uh, the way uh, it will be in the future, of course, uh, every author uh becomes uh, we, we, we will become manager and producer of his own projects uh, and that's just the way it is I think that's kind of the role of the modern author everywhere yes. not just Russia I mean there's so many people publishing now uh, literally everyone and their brother sister cousin and their cousin's dog yep. is publishing at this point thanks to the ebook revolution and so as an end result mm -hmm. you have to be bringing something else to the table you have to be a multi faceted entertainer or business person in some way if you want to succeed in the author game yep. these days. At least that's my take on yep. it. But, you know, I was interviewing some uh, foreign writers. Uh, for example, uh, I was interviewing Michael Cunningham and Neil Gaiman, for example, oh. and they are amazing on stage. They are joking, they are kidding around, they are uh, speaking, and everyone is laughing uh, in the audience. And uh, 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 this is a show. Uh, true and uh, amazing show, and they are amazing showmen. They are very, very good at that. And of course, uh, every author should think of that uh, and then try that. Well, not everyone can be Neil Gaiman. Neil Gaiman is, yeah. wow, yeah. Amazing. And artist also. He always. When he signed books, he always uh, draw uh, a little picture on it, uh, and it's and not just cute. It's uh, very uh, he he he's really talented. Uh, these pictures they're little, but they're uh, you know uh, have uh, his uh, own style in them. Uh, they looks very peculiar and mm, interesting. Yes. So, Don, um, <laughs> any final questions before we go? Anything you want to ask about? Yeah, I have one uh, odd question Sure. that, that I've been kind of wondering, because you mentioned the Big Bang Theory, and I'm wondering, 
how do fans of science fiction and fantasy come across to the average person? Like, are they seen as like weirdos or is it something that everybody's a little bit into or how, how does that go over? Uh, in Russia. Uh, can you repeat that? Maybe I didn't understand it completely. Okay. Um, well, like here you get like, uh, you've seen the big bang theory. Okay. That, that's the old stereotypical image of a science fiction fan in North uh-huh. America that uh-huh. they're kind of, like like a bit of an an odd person they keep to themselves they're a little mm-hmm. they're really smart but weird and i'm wondering do science fiction fans in russia are they seen the same way or are they just seen as like everybody else no i don't think they seem any different from everybody else because uh, every russian reader is a little geek uh, he has that geek layer, uh, you know, so somewhere inside him or on him. And uh, there is no, uh, you know, this uh, distinctive social group uh, like geeks uh, in Russia. Of course, there are uh, weird uh, people uh, like geeks, uh, but I don't think they are always are uh, fans of science fiction or fantasy. They're just weird. That's it. <laughs> okay, um, then. Um, on that note, thank you very much, Simon, for coming on the show. It's been an incredible and fascinating uh, look at a uh, culture that we really mm-hmm. don't know very much about. I'm afraid here in the West, in Canada yeah. anyway, and the United States, we don't really get a good view of what it's like there for the average Russian person, and definitely not for those who are part of the nerdly arts. So thanks again for coming on. Mm-hmm. Thank you, guys. Thank you, Rob. Thank you, Don. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was amazing questions, and I really have a good uh, Thank you. Yes, and uh, when you finally finish yeah, your book, and hopefully you do uh, have the chance, come on the show and talk about okay. it. Okay. Okay, I will keep it th- that in mind. Awesome. Thank you, everyone, for listening. If you have any questions, please come on to obeythedna.com, our website, and uh, leave questions, and mm. we can pass them along to Simon. Or if you have something else you want to get off your chest, please write to us and let us know. Hope you enjoyed the show. Thanks for listening. Tune in next time. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to the show. If you'd like to hear more or join the conversation, come visit us at obeythedna.com. You can also find us on iTunes or whatever fine podcast site forgot to lock their back door. So until next time, remember that to master the nerdly arts takes time, practice, and enough Coca-Cola to drop a rhino. See ya! See ya!